How goes it, kids and heroes? Hey, hi, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Film Effect, where another movie nerd conversation about another cult classic is about to take place. I'm your host, Ed Snyder, and welcome to the last episode I host solo for a while. One, two, three, go! Guys, welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. We've taken all things film to the full effect. My name is Ed, I'm your host, and I hope you guys are having a lovely, beautiful morning, day, afternoon, evening, late night, whatever it is, whatever time of day you're listening, I hope you're doing swell. Uh, before we get into this episode, I just want to quickly let you guys know to check out previous apps on Spotify, Google, iTunes, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook, both at the same thing, The Film Effect Podcast. And I'm also on Twitter now, at Film Effect Pod. And what else, what else? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. And let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. Oh, yes. And if you guys would be so kind, five-star ratings, positive reviews, spread the word, Make it happen. Not asking for too much, but if you got a few seconds, just hit that five-star button and that's all you got to do because it helps with us growing, sharing with one another. It helps with the algorithm, and it just makes me a happy bastard. So, yeah. All right, so current events. All right, well, letting you guys know, if, in case you didn't know it already, it's been one year this week. Since the pandemic started, so happy one-year anniversary to the pandemic. Uh, speaking of which, I got my vaccine yesterday. <laughs> um, finally became available to get it, and I just I couldn't wait any longer. Um, I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I am definitely a supporter of the vaccine and think that everyone needs to be taking it. So it's the point. Mass immunity is the point of all this. You're not going to get to it until about 65 to 70% of us have this vaccine. And with 55% of us wanting it, the other 45 like, nah, I'm not going to do it because you're going to inject the... No, it's not a conspiracy, guys. It's supposed to help us, and it's going to help us. And this is day two now. Nothing wrong with me. Couldn't even feel it when it happened. I actually asked that. I had to ask the nurse, when are you going to do it? And she said, I already did it. I'm like, oh, couldn't even feel it. Didn't even know. It's that quick, painless, and I feel good. No one's tracking me, you know, none of that BS. Everything's fine, guys. Just when you're able to, it took me literally three minutes to get everything, on the, all my information put in, and boop, a little prick later, and I was sent on my way, and I feel great. So, yeah. Um, also, I, I don't know what part of the show to put it in, so I'm going to say it right now. I want to let everyone know that coming soon, I, I've for the last week or two now, I've been working on um, Patreon, seeing um, you know if 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 I if I start one, if 
there's an audience for it because I definitely have ideas for exclusive bonus content and it wouldn't be for that much money. Like I think I was thinking about three tiers, one being $2, one being $5, one being 10. Um, let me see actually, what do I have on here? See, I got $3, three, five and 10. So I got $3. Uh, you'll get like a newsletter, exclusive look at the schedule, early access to every episode. Um, everyone will get a personal shout out no matter which tier you're on. I'll, I'll shout them out in every episode here. So I'll have a new section for that. And then I'll have a top 10 um, every month for those uh, Patreons. And then for $5, you get all the same things. And then on top of that, uh, commentary track that I'll put out every month. And a exclusive Patreon exclusive episode of the Film Effect podcast, and then the ten dollar one, um, of course, everything from the other tiers, and then you will be able to choose the episode after three months of con- contributions, as well as a T-shirt. We're gonna have merch coming soon, guys, and also a Discord um, hangout every week for those members. So uh, that's what I'm thinking. And probably in the next couple weeks, definitely before April, I'll just say by April, by April, I will have a Patreon launched. Hopefully I can just, you know, gain some interest and um, just help the show in any way possible because I I, I take this very seriously. You know, podcasts are fun and games, like a good idea to some folks, you know, but take this shit seriously it's my second podcast i've ever done and I, I i love it you know i've said it on the last podcast and i'll say it on this one i don't care if there were two of you people that listen to me every month or every week you two people i would put the same effort in for you guys as i would for the millions of people if they listened it doesn't matter even if it was one person you know I, the fact that anyone it just wants to listen to what I have to say to them. It just means everything. I'm, I'm a humble guy, and that's so. Yeah, <clears throat> and also shout out to Ireland. Don't think I haven't noticed you Irish bastards, but I have. I love you guys so much. I seriously, I love Ireland, and I love the fact that a tenth of my audience comes from your land. So, from me to you. <laughs> Thank you, honestly. My sincerest thank you. Weekly recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? All right, so my weekly recommend this week is going to be a movie that I blindwalled two weeks ago, and I finally sat down and watched it over the weekend. And It is a movie called Queen and Slim. I was blown away at practically how much I enjoyed that movie. Um, It's like a modern, urban Bonnie and Clyde. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, that's what I'd say. That's how I would describe it. An urban, modern version of Bonnie and Clyde. Um, It had a lot of things going for it. I did... It wasn't your typical, you know, getaway film. It was... First of all, it had phenomenal cinematography. It's probably the one thing that stood out the most was just the beautiful shots and me watching it on that 4K television screen. The shit just popped. I felt like I was on the road with them at, at, at times. 
And then there's also a lot of contrasting things going on compared to the usual getaway movie. So like in other words, it's different. And I just love seeing filmmakers taking a chance at doing something unique for their films. And that's exactly what this was. Um, what did I put? <clears throat> Let me go to my letterbox to see what rating I gave it after I finished watching it. Because the first thing I do after I put down, after I finish watching the film is I go to my letterbox and and uh, rate it. Wow, four and a half stars. So yeah, guys, that's definitely my weekly recommendation is uh, Queen and Slim from last year. Queen and Slim. Yeah, watch it. So this week's movie takes us back to the mid-90s and channels our inner Gloria Estefan in a film that's so good that you too will also forget to add the shrimp. This past Monday was the 25th anniversary, so in today's podcast, we're going back to 96 and talking about one of my favorite comedies and overall favorite Robin Williams films, The Birdcage. Pop. I'm getting married. <laughs> it's a girl. I, I met her at school. It's this wonderful... Uh, what, what are you... Are you upset? But let me tell you why. Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. Are you crazy? You can't get married. It's out of the question. We've been sleeping together for a year. Oh, God. Has he been tested? Oh, Kevin. Yes, and so have I. Oh! Uh, who's his father? His father is in the arts. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. You know, Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. What does the mother do? She's a housewife. Oh, I could play it straight. You take your knife and you smear. Men smear. Smear, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Get the pinky <laughs> down. All right, hold the knife boldly in yeah. strength. <laughs> no, I'm going to the toast. <laughs> Al, you old so-and-so. How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins. Fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed? Bewildered? Call me. Perfect. Won't you come in? Senator Keeley, Mrs. Keeley, come here and give me a hug. Oh! I've never felt such tension. It's like riding a psychotic horse towards a burning stable. Oh God, it's a nightmare. Get up, everybody, and uh, Something about the father and the skull. I can't put my finger on it's it. It's nothing. What do you mean? It's nothing. It is Dad, something. It is nothing. Something very strange is going on. Alright, so The Birdcage from 1996. It's a remake from a 1978 film called La Cage au Folle. So, I actually owned the original film. I had the Criterion Blu-ray. And I've never seen it. I've never watched it before. I'm going to have to. But one of these days, I eventually will. Um, but I've never seen the original film, unfortunately, and I own it. I've, I've, I've supported the goddamn thing. I've put my money in and got the $30 Blu-ray from Criterion because Criterion Blu-rays are not cheap. So I own it. It's sitting there. It's still in its wrapping. <laughs> but one of these days, I intend to have a double feature with uh, La Caja Full and 
the birdcage. So just wanted to put that out there first and foremost and let people know that uh, it's not an original film, but it is definitely one of the better remakes of our time. It's also two things. It's such a groundbreaking film for the LGBTQ community. And it's a film that made gay culture much more mainstream and paved the way for such shows and films as Will and Grace, The L Word, The Kids Are All Right, Boys Don't Cry, Milk, and Transparent to Name a Handful. Um, it, it really is like... If you view every piece of gay entertainment as a brick in the road towards where we are today, a road very much still under construction... Uh, then the birdcage happened several miles back. That doesn't be, even begin to deal with what's happened in politics since 96. It's been a massively progressive 25 years, and by all rights, those two decades should have left the film with the birdcage in the dust of history. Only it hasn't. The birdcage, outdated by history and politics, is just as sparkling a piece of comedy as it was when it premiered. It's kind of miraculous. On paper, the birdcage is just a pile of elements we leap to call problematic today. Central couple Armand and Albert are the owner and star of a drag club, appropriating drag culture. Robin Williams, a straight man playing a gay character. Armand and Albert's relationship, regressively conforming to gendered roles. Albert's screaming femininity, played for laughs and borderline misogynistic. Hank Azaria's character, Dios Mio, where to begin? So how does the birdcage get away with it? And not just get away with it, but come out on the other side is an improbable celebration of gay comedy. Comes down to three things, according to this Decider article. It's a farce done right. It is impeccably crafted. And Nathan Lane's Albert is sympathetic, but never a figure of pity. And I think all three of those are true, especially this last one here. I think it's an important one. There's a reason why this movie was so loved when it first came out. I remember when it was in the theater because I was there too. I wasn't that young. I was 12, yes, but I, I still remember a lot of things from 96. I remember things from 95, 94. Like, my memory wasn't that faded or well, I wasn't that young. I wasn't too young to remember just everything. I remember things pretty vividly actually but um i'm just gonna get into it first time viewing uh, it's, it's just that you see this is actually uh my, my first time no no my first it's my first time uh since my first time so technically that's my second time and i don't i don't i don't want to suck at it so us in the theater with my mom and grandmother about a week or two after it came out it was uh middle of the week school night for me but my mother and my grandmother wanted to see it they really wanted to see movies my grandmother's favorite movie was made in america with Whoopi goldberg and ted danson <laughs> um so they wanted to see this and then they knew that i was in the movies so of course i got the invite only and this also we can consider this also story time tell me a story like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. 
This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. When I went in with them, it was my first time seeing an R-rated movie. So I didn't know what I was getting into. All I knew was that I wanted to see this. I wanted to laugh. But I didn't want to cringe and have to sit there with my grandmother and mother in front of a theater with in front of a movie screen with like na- I didn't know if there was gonna be like naked women or whatever like because like when I was twelve you know I was like felt weird seeing that kind of like, well, I still would today if I had to but still like things weirded me out at that age and I just didn't I didn't know what I was getting into even though I'd seen plenty of R-rated movies at that time I had never seen one in a theater before so yeah I think it's pretty funny that I saw that and then I actually. Not too long after this, I went with my cousin and saw Eraser of Schwarzenegger. That was my second already movie in the theater. So yeah. Here we go! So the film starts with a continuous shot lasting about two minutes long. It starts over the Miami Ocean Line, kind of mimicking the opening shot of 1995's Bad Boys, actually. The shot eventually takes us into Miami and a very crowded club called The Birdcage where there's a musical performance of We Are Family being played. And we learn that the show's main attraction, Starina, who we later find out is Nathan Lane's Albert Goldman, is up next but nowhere to be seen. And this is where we're introduced to Robin Williams' Armand Goldman, who is uh, kind of in a panic searching for him. We see um, he finally stops away. This causes Robin Williams' Armand Goldman, who we're introduced to, he goes on a search for him, stopping at first by a waiter at the club who tells him that the Kennedys want their tabs covered, but since it's not Ted Kennedy, Armand tells him to give them free coffee instead. I've always liked that bit. Uh, We're introduced to Albert and Armand's housekeeper, Agador, played by Hank Azaria, who comes down and tells Armand that Starina won't come down for the main set. He pushes Agador back up and tells him to make sure he's ready and that he'll be right up behind him. So Albert and Armand live together. They are a couple, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. And the birdcage is their club. And they live right above the club, right upstairs, conveniently. So they're always there. And they're also, their, their housekeeper, Agador, also lives with them. So, or at least I, I'm assuming he does. It's not really established if he does or not. But he's always there, so I would have to assume that he does live with them. It's revealed that Albert and Armand are in the middle of a serious fight while he's getting prepared for his set. Armand, we first see him trying to break down the door. It's always a gag that's been funny to me. Um, Agador then gives Albert a placebo to calm him down, calling them Pirin tablets, but in reality they're aspirins with the A and the S scraped off. It's genius shit. But he still accuses Armand of running around doing him saying that there's white wine in the fridge when they both only drink red. He says that ridiculous he says ridiculous things like Armand's responsible for making him short. And then eventually after the threat of another actor donning the Starina costume, Albert agrees to take the stage. Uh does which he does so and goes through the performance without a hitch to close out the night at the birdcage. And then while preparing for a night alone upstairs, Armand's son Val, 
comes home and breaks the news to Armand that he's getting married. Hey. Keep getting better looking. Oh, thank you. So do you. No. Really? Yeah. I feel bloated. You really think I look good? You look great. That's very sweet. I'm glad you cut your hair. Did you eat? Yes, I ate. Something to drink? Beer, if you have it. I do not. Talk about bloat. White wine. Swell. So how long has Albert been on? He just went on. And I gave Agador the night off. requested. Hey, since when do you like beer? So I have something to tell you. Yes. But I don't want you to get how you get. Oh, God. I'm getting married. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you over the phone. Mm. I, um, it's a girl. I met her at school. It's this wonderful... Uh, what, what are you... Are you upset? But let me tell you why. First of all, you're only 20. Look, Pop, I know. I'm young. But, uh... I mean, look, you've always said I was a very level-headed guy. And I am. You're right. I mean, I have job offers. I know exactly what I want my future to be. And, I mean, I have this incredible role model. Oh, please. No, it's true. You know, I'm the only guy in my fraternity who doesn't come from a broken home. Stop flattering me. It's cheap. All right, Dad. Does it matter? Yes, of course it does. I want to hear you say it's okay before Albert comes up and starts screaming. I can't, and I won't. This is too crazy. You do this, you're on your own. You got that sport? You don't come back here. You don't ask me for anything, okay? okay? Yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, okay. Okay. If that's how you feel about it. I do. All right. Goodbye, Pop. Goodbye, son. Are you sure you called my bluff? Uh, no, it was good, though. Really? Bad. I got backed off on a little bit. <laughs> Tell me it's all right. It's all right. I always dreamed you'd do this. It's just not so soon. Come on. Drop your bag. Stay a while. Let's drink a toast to this catastrophe. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's all right. What's the young lady's name? Barbara. This is where we're introduced to Barbara, played by Calista Flockhart, who's telling her parents of the wedding. Her parents being Senator Keeley, played by Gene Hackman, and his wife, Lewis, played by Diane Wiest. Uh, when Val calls, and Armand takes the phone and toasts to their future together. Hello, Barbara. Well, here's to your future. No, dear, that was not my toast. I just broke my glass. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, it was nice talking to you, and we'll talk again soon. Bye. So, Gaddy, I can still hear my grandmother laughing at while remembering. That's one thing I remember. Uh, I should have talked about that in story time, but I forgot to. Um, talking about this with my grandmother, seeing it with her and my mother, um, my grandmother thought this was the funniest movie in the world. 
she laughed at so much and i just this was one of them and this is every time i watch this movie i feel like i have my grandmother next to me watching it with because i can hear her laugh so much throughout this movie and this is just one of them always always leaves me smiling god i miss her after she hangs up her father who was listening in on the landline starts questioning her about his parents being in Greece after they saw each other earlier in the day. When she was telling her parents about the her parent her, about his parents, she mentioned that they were in Greece. Uh, without time much without much time to think, she tells them that his parents are back for the winter at their place in South Beach. Albert comes home to the room and starts tearing into Armand after seeing another wine glass out with him, but Armand tells him that it's Val, who's home from college and asleep in his room. This is when we see Albert go in and quietly tuck Val in and gives him a little little, a little gaze at all oh, my little Val. The next morning, Agador is warning Armand about his Guatemalaness over coffee when Albert returns from his morning walk and is informed of the wedding, leaving him panicking when Val comes in and says, Oh, you heard. The scene plays out with the guy socializing over coffee, sludge, and OJ before we cut to... Senator Keeley and his wife having breakfast while Keeley's watching one of his debates with an opposing senator as Lois looks bored. He tells her it's the most intelligent show on television. A hilariously condescending line that's always made me laugh. So he turns the TV off and he starts going over his speech as Lois tries talking to him about the wedding. When then we see their maid pop in and tell Keeley that he's got a phone call that he needs to take. And that's when we learn that Senator Jackson, the man who was on the TV debating with him earlier, had died with a black underage prostitute in bed with him. This causes Keeley to freak out because Senator Jackson was the co-founder, with him of course, of a conservative group called the Coalition for Moral Order. And the media is going to have a field day with all of this, which they do. Albert looking at old photos and years while Armand laments in the background. No one's funnier than Nathan Lane in this bit. And then we get this little bit here with Armand. <clears throat> and then we get this bit here with Albert looking at old photos over the years while Armand's lamenting in the background. Uh, it's just another sequence with Nathan Lane that's just so goddamn funny. Just Nathan Lane and Robin Williams are the funniest people they could have possibly had for this movie it's perfect casting at its finest and then we cut back to the keelys watching a television report on the situation regarding senator jackson kevin comes back from seeing his advisor and gets in oh kevin by the way is keely's first name senator keely's first name um he gets inside via a ladder a very large ladder because the uh entire media is outside um, reporters, new truck, news trucks, you name it. They're all outside waiting for something, waiting for a comment, waiting for an announcement, waiting for a word. Um, this is when Lois and Barbara suggest that they have a beautiful white wedding to show that they're full of love and can even get the Pope's blessing. Kevin's picking through the trash can looking for candy while Barbara tells her mother that the Goldman's last name is actually Coleman so that they don't know that they're actually Jewish. And then we see Albert practicing a number one stage in front of Armand when he abruptly cuts after seeing the guy he's practicing with chewing gum. <laughs> I, I love this scene. Val comes down while <clears throat> Val comes down to talk when Albert stops again after the guy blows a bubble. This leads to Did you see what he just did? Hello, Valley, darling. What did he do? He blew a bubble 
with his gum while I was singing. He can't do that while I'm singing! Celsius, look, this may be a drag show, but it still has to be a good drag show. If possible, a great drag show. Yes, and just because you're 22 and hung doesn't mean you're... Let me do this, Albert. Fine, you're the director. Thank you. This is a complex number full of mythic themes. The woman who is singing invented you. You are her fantasy. And suddenly, you, the fantasy, see her, your inventor, and she becomes your fantasy. I don't think I get it. Try more gum. Albert. I hear you. Thank you. I know you do. Celsius, you have to explore it. But let's start with the premise that when you see this stunning, smoldering creature, she transcends your desire to chew. She electrifies you. Something starts in your pelvis and works its way towards your heart, where it becomes heart slash pelvis. Oh. Yes? Coming. What about me? What do I do? Do I just stand here like an object? No. You do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do fussy, fussy, fussy. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside. All right, just work on that. I'll be right back. It's looking wonderful, though. Val pulls Armand upstairs to tell him about them coming down to Miami for dinner, them being the Keeleys. And Barbara told them that Armand's a cultural attaché to Greece, while Albert's his stay-at-home wife. He also tells them about a last name, about the last name situation, and pretty much begs him to become someone that he's not for the senator. He starts pointing out all the sexual art around the place, including a funny statue with a big erection that Armand simply turns around. It says they'd have to hide Albert for a day too. Things are interrupted when Armand's called down because Albert's trying to take the gum away now. Two things, I really love Williams sticking to his own here, especially when things get serious towards the end. Um, and then there's a little thing here with uh, Val and Armand sharing a cigarette together during all of this that I've always appreciated. Uh, being a smoker myself, not I don't appreciate smoking, but I, I get it as a smoker. Um, back at the media-fueled Keeley home, Tom McGowan's Harry Radman who works for the National Enquirer, gets the truth from Achilles, from the Keeley's driver after he's seen loading up the car while everyone else is around front. So he pays off the taxi. So he pays off the driver, and the driver tells him where they're all heading. That's how that works. Um, Tom McGowan. Uh, he is from Heavyweights. He was the <clears throat> the main counselor. Um, it's not Josh. Heavyweights. What the hell is his name? He was the, he's the guy, um, Pat, Pat, that's right, Pat Finley. Uh, that's Tom McGowan. Uh, he was also in, uh, Captain Ron, uh, As Good As It Gets. I remember he was also in Bad Santa. So he's, he's been around, hasn't really done much acting in the last 15 years, but, uh, well, just television, I'm sorry. He's been on some television programs here and there, but as far as films go, he hasn't had he hasn't been in a film according to Wikipedia since two thousand six. So not sure how accurate that is. I don't I don't have really time to proof check that like I normally do when I check out Wikipedia. But uh, I'll take its word for it though. Uh this is when do, do, do remember when Jay Leno hosted the Tonight Show? Because we get reminded in this scene here with a little commercial with a little bit here, Jay Leno making fun of the Keelys. Uh, it feels like it's been forever. 
Kevin goes outside and down the ladder when all the reporters suddenly find him and begin asking him all these sorts of questions. Left and right, what's going on? Where are you going? Are the rumors true? He tells them he's stunned and saddened by the sudden death of Senator Jackson and that he's going away to plan an event that he can't really talk about. He says he's going to their farm before heading back up the ladder and into the bedroom. Then we see Armand having a change of heart as Val hears him tell Agador that he's going to need a suit and that things will be going away and that some things will be going away for a little while and that he's going to make this work. When Val sincerely thanks Armand, Armand tells him not to talk to him for a few days and walks away. Uh, one thing I noticed off of this, and I'll bring it up later on because it really hasn't aged a whole lot, the word F-A-G. I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't feel comfortable, but that word being thrown around so casually, at this point of the film, I think I've heard it four or five times. That's four or five times too many. I understand the reasoning. I understand that 1996 was a different time. I understand that this is a gay movie, but it still doesn't give people the right to say that word, honestly. And I still don't advocate for it. And yes, I have used it, especially in a derogatory term in my life. I'm a human being. I have made plenty of mistakes that I have, I have owned, and I am still learning to own, and this being one of them, yes. So... Uh, but that was a different time. I haven't used that word in any any manner in well over 10, 15 years now. And yeah, I, I feel sorry for people who still do and think that it's okay. And it, it wasn't okay. It's not okay. It wasn't then. It's not now. It, it's not even okay in this movie. I understand that Albert... And, and and Armand and all that, but it, it it's no, it's I just don't I'm not comfortable with it. And then we get a neat shot of what appears to be the Keeley's car driving down a beautiful purple tinted sunset sky in the background. But then the shot pulls back and it's revealed to be Harry and his photographer in the distance as the as the shot focuses now on the Keeleys and their driver. Albert and Armand are on the beach enjoying the sun when Armand subtly hints towards taking a few days off to relax. And this is his way of kind of like getting Albert to go away for a little while while Armand and Val take care of this grand dinner that's been put in front of them out of nowhere. Uh, the entire condo is getting remodeled when this shot... Um, the entire condo is getting remodeled when we see Armand and Albert get home. Albert has no idea what's going on. Armand is just trying his hard, he's trying his hardest to get Albert to stay away, to get him to come outside, to stay outside with him and not go back to the condo. He even goes as far as to faking an injury on top of uh, some other mild antics um, before eventually getting to the place and letting out a hilarious scream. Must have meant something. No, I didn't, I swear. I just meant you look tired. Tired means old. You look tired means you look old. And you look rested means you've had collagen. You look wonderful. Too good to waste indoors. Let's go window shop. No, thank you. I want to go home now. Come on, that's nonsense. On a day like this, I'll buy you anything you want. Anything I want? Mm -hmm. well, I'll have to change my shoes. I'll buy you a pair. I have no pads. I'll buy you sandals. Armand! What's going on? Why can't we go home? Nothing. Nothing, oh. Uh, then I'll see you upstairs. Ah! Oh! What? I, I hurt my thing. Your what? 
My ankle. Oh. Yes. It's. Uh, oh, God. I don't think I can make it upstairs. Well, wait here and I'll bring some ice down. No, no, no. Why not? Oh, oh, my arm. Oh, oh, I hate it when you get hysterical. Don't leave me. No. Take this. Take it easy with this. What is that? I got it from the antique store across the street. Too much? Don't add. Put the moose on the patio. Put the moose on the patio. Here, let me help you lean on me. I think I need a doctor. Oh, don't be silly. It isn't even swollen. Maybe we should go to an emergency room. You know, I can get an x-ray. Here, you're overreacting. Don't be such a baby. Just sit down on the... And we see Armand chasing Albert down to the street to get him to stay. Albert says it's too much pain and nearly faints in dramatic fashion before Armand takes him to a nearby outdoor restaurant to relax and talk. This leads to Armand being convinced Albert cannot This leads to Albert being convinced out this leads to Armand being convinced Albert can act straight or like a man. They start with the infamous mustard smearing scene because men smear. This is my favorite Nathan Lane scene by far. He is on fire in this performance. Uh, he does this little walk. Uh, and there's this old lady sitting on the table right by them, minding their own business. And we got Albert's, we got Nathan Lane's Albert just doing, trying to straight, trying to walk straight. And the look on this woman's face has always made me crack up so much. Um, like I, like I said before, I, I can hear my grandmother laughing again right now. Um, and the line by when he comes back to Albert, when he comes back to Armand, I love this line here. Let me give you an image. It's a cliche, but an image. John Wayne. <laughs> uh, and then Senator Keeley's now driving. And then Senator Keeley himself is now driving with his driver asleep in the passenger seat. He keeps on looking back at his rearview mirror as he's driving, and then he suddenly cuts other cars off just to make an exit from one side of the road to the other. This causes Harry's photographer to do the same thing in the distance, and then uh, we get some more antics at the restaurant with Al and Armand. Tighten your wrist. Straighten it, then tighten it. There. Al, you old so-and-so. I just said that. Well, now I'm saying it. All right. Oh, straighten, tighten. Al, you old son of a bitch. How you doing? How do you feel about that call today? I mean, the Dolphins, fourth and three play on their 30-yard line with only 34 seconds to go. How do you think I feel? Betrayed, bewildered? Wrong response? I'm not sure. Take it from the top. This is very exciting. Yeah, it is, fella. Oh, right on, amigo. Damn straight. Damn straight. (laughs) Fucking A. Fucking A, right. (laughs) Come on, little buddy. Swing that by me again. Oh, Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Take it easy. Hey, you take it easy, pilgrim. He bumped into me. Tough gazungas. Why are you being such a prick? Why are you being such an asshole? Are you calling me an asshole? Actually, I'm talking to the asshole behind you. Back to the condo with Armand getting ice on his head. Val starts second-guessing everything when he sees Agador skimming the pool in a pink thong. 
This is more or less when he and Armand both decide they need a real woman for this, and Armand decides to reach out to Val's actual mother, Catherine, played by Christine Baranski. Armand and Albert's at Catherine's office in this next scene. Uh, again, one of my favorite parts of this film. They catch up. Uh, she's between husbands. Meanwhile, Albert is sitting out in the receptionist's office, or the waiting room, as they call it. And the receptionist is just very uncomfortable. It's very obvious. Uh, Albert is just being Albert. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. getting The longer that Armand's in there with Catherine, the more antsy Albert gets in the waiting room. And it kind of builds and builds and builds because as we see in the room between Armand and Catherine, that they're just they're catching up. And it's revealed she's never seen Val before because Armand paid her a hefty sum in exchange to keep him solely. That money then led to her bodyworks company that she's the CEO of. They pop a bottle of champagne and start singing numbers from the past while Albert grows impatient in the waiting room, like I said before. He eventually goes in while Catherine's rubbing Armand's chest and then takes off in anger. His loud scream when the horn accidentally goes off and the car just fucking kills me every time. <laughs> the silent awkwardness between Albert and the receptionist in the scene is just something to be remembered for. And my favorite line in this entire movie is great. He's driving back from Miami at 20 miles per hour with the parking brake on and I had to take the fucking bus. Are we crucifying someone tonight? <laughs> then we get back at the house. Armand's telling Val that his mother will do it when Albert comes back. There, you see? It all worked out. I'm only here to get my toothbrush. Agador, will you? It's in the usual place. Oh, how I would have loved to have seen your children. Shouldn't you be holding the crucifix? It is the prop for martyrs. Oh, yes. Another jibe. Another joke at my expense. You were probably laughing at me with Catherine, too. Well, why not? I'm not young. I'm not new. And everyone laughs at me. I'm quite aware of how ridiculous I am, and... I've been thinking that the only solution is to go where nobody is ridiculous, where everyone is equal. Goodbye, Armand. Wait, Miss Albert, don't forget this. Listen, I don't want you to go. Oh. My poor devoted Agador. I'm leaving you my stereo. No. My red boots. I don't want. And my wigs. Wish we. My best wigs. I won't need them where I'm going. All right, I'll bite. Where are you going? To Los Copa. Las Copa. There isn't anything in Las Copa but a cemetery. I know. That's why I'm packing light. Adio. Oh, I see. You're going to the cemetery with your toothbrush. How Egyptian. Goodbye, Armand. Miss Albert, wait. Don't! After this, Armand goes after Albert, and Val finds out from Agador that he's not much of a cook but his father seems to think so. Out by the shipyard, Armand finds Albert waiting on the bench and the two reconcile, leading to Armand calling Catherine's receptionist and leaving a note for Catherine not to come anymore. 
Val is ready to give up again when Armand tells him to stop being so negative. Albert comes in wearing a suit with no makeup and tries to walk and act straight for them. Armand calls out his pink socks and Albert gets upset when he's not accepted. He says he just wanted to help so much that they hate him. And then he leaves again. <laughs> Val tells Agador to wear shoes, even though he tells him that he never wears them because they always make him fall. And then Catherine calls and Val answers, telling her to come and to ignore Armand's request to stay home. And then we get the Keeleys arriving in Miami. Now the fun begins. Albert locks himself in the bedroom, and right as they're ringing the doorbell, Val drops the bombshell that Barbara told her parents that their last name is Coleman, not Goldman. It's a hilarious moment here with Agador tripping and falling on his face when he's trying to get the door. Call back to the shoes debate earlier. And then when the Keelys finally come in, Agador addresses them as the Goldmans, causing Kevin to question the last name and Armand to clarify that it's Coleman and that Spartacus, which is what Agador's name is, is Guatemalan. He calls... He says it's Coleman with a silent D. When complimenting for his firm handshake, Armand says you have to in Greece before asking everyone to join them in the family room. They go into the family room here and Diane Weist right away pointing out Nancy Drew and the whole series in her upbeat tone. It's little things like that that make me laugh even harder because she's so sincere, but she has this cheer, chipper, upbeat tone. She's like... You have Nancy Drew in the whole series? It's a whole lot funnier than I remember it being rewatching this movie. So then they start calling Agador Spartacus by his full name that way, just in, because of all the confusion, I guess. Uh, outside the club, we see Harry paying the driver again to tell them where they are exactly, and he does. We see Catherine stuck in traffic at an open bridge, so she's running late, so everything that could be going wrong is going wrong right now. And then we get the actual dinner. And some highlights include Albert making a noise in the bedroom and Armand saying it's the dog. Agador popping the champagne, causing Armand to suddenly scream. <laughs> Agador's obsession with bowing. Val asking Senator Keeley about the drive and him responding with an extended monologue about the seasons changing, going from north to south, boring everyone to death in the process. Uh, Catherine calling and leaving a voicemail saying she's running late while everyone's taking in the monologue. Armand getting tied up in the curtains, going outside. And the Achilles thinking that everyone's acting awkward because of the Jackson scandal. Albert suddenly shows up and basically ruins everything that's been established up to this point. He mixes up the last name, says they live in South Florida while Armand works in France. Meanwhile, the sweating look on Robert Williams' face here is this is happening it straight up murders me he's just staring like what are you doing um we see harry outside on the phone asking for information on armand coleman but then asks for an armand goldman since the name sounded alike and that's what the name is on front of the club and then some more dinner highlights including agador busting out laughing as he sees albert as catherine uh the gays in the military talk Armand asking about those dolphins to everyone and then dropping his ice bucket. Agador in the kitchen trying to come up with a dinner to serve. Senator Keeley taking up for Albert or Catherine, saying she's a very passionate and opinionated woman. Then we see Harry finding out the truth about the Goldmans and tells his photographer they're an inquirer heaven. 
And then some more highlights, including the families dancing and singing a number when Agador Spartacus comes in and belts out a number before announcing dinner is served. Armand has Val tape a note outside to his mother to see, saying that she can't come up. The leapfrog China when they seat for dinner. <laughs> and of course, Fisher Island. Oh, Fisher Island. Such a lovely spot. My parents lived on Fisher Island until they died. I thought you were just visiting your parents in Palm Beach. What? Oh, <clears throat> yes. <laughs> now that they're dead, they've moved. Were moved. Because... Well, <clears throat> my mother always said, live on Fisher Island, get buried in Palm Beach. That way... You'll have the best of Florida. And the reveal that Agador didn't prepare an entree. <laughs> Dad, you've got to get in there. Everything is going to hell. You didn't make an entree. What? What, 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 what do you, what, you, you mean? We just have soup? But your peasant soup is an entree. It's like a stew. Why do you think I put so much eating for? Shut up! Here's a note for Catherine. Go put it on the downstairs door. I've got to get back there before they eat enough to see the bottom of the bowl. You've got a million things to do. You're not giving no time to Charles. Shut up! It's okay. We're all right. It's fine. Just shut up, goddamn you. It's all right. Stop crying. Goddamn you. What are you standing there for? Go. Go. She'll be here in a minute. Go. Damn it. Fuck the shrimp. So various other news vans start showing up outside. Val puts a note outside, but Harry immediately takes it for himself. So there goes that. Catherine parks and runs towards the place. And then Albert's wig starts becoming obvious. So everyone takes him back to the room to fix him back up. Then the real Catherine shows up when it's just Kevin and Louise together, who suspects something very strange going on. This leads to the jig being up. What is she doing here? Let me explain. Yes, please do. Explain it to all of us. Uh, I, I don't want to embarrass this lovely lady, but exactly how many mothers does your son have? What? Well, this woman has just introduced herself as Val's mother. How many mothers does Val have? Just one. <sighs> this is my mother. My father owns a nightclub downstairs. My mother is the star. What? We lied to you. Barbara and I and everybody lied for us. These are my parents. This is my wife. And this is the lady who had Val. It's nice to meet you, Catherine. Very nice, Val. You've done a good job. Thank you. I'm very proud of him. I understand. Barbara, the nightclub downstairs, he owns it? Mm-hmm. You mean he's not a cultural attaché? No, and he... He isn't married to a housewife, and their name isn't Coleman, it's Goldman. They're Jewish. I understand. He's a man. They're both men. It can't be. You can't be Jewish. No, Kevin, 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 Kevin. This is a man. What? Don't you understand? They're gay. They own the drag club downstairs. They're two men. 
So when the Keeleys go to leave, Barbara tells them that she's staying when her mother starts crying and her father starts trying to call her out for his selfishness when suddenly Harry's photographer tries to take a picture of him but misses. And he misses because Harry calls out his name beforehand. This is when it's revealed every other outlet in town's outside waiting for them. So they are all sitting around waiting for a game plan because Keely cannot be seen. Definitely cannot be seen under these circumstances. Absolutely not. It would just destroy his career. Uh, and it eventually leads to a very revealing ending with the full, the whole family being put up in drag, including Gene Hackman himself, performing a We Are Family number, kind of mirroring the opening scene a little bit here. Um, and then we also get, after they successfully get away by the way he we see an interfaith service going on during the end credits between val and barbara since val is jewish and barbara isn't they actually have a rabbi and a priest up on the altar together and um it's not really something that we see too often especially in movies and also little interactions between both parties it's pretty funny here now it's also worth revealing that because this made me think of it because it's actually a person that we see throughout the movie who has a line of dialogue here asking about one of the old women this is like a very tall kind of a fred gwen looking fred munster type or herman munster type just broad frankenstein-esque um guy with a long face with a blonde wig that's actually the costume designer for the film and yeah this it's the person it's the guy in drag who is actually i think he doubles as the host of the club and yeah they get married wedding fades to black credits continue and that's it the end no post-credit scene and that is the birdcage Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So the birdcage was released on March 8th, 1996 from United Artists. It opened up in first place with $18.2 million, going on to gross $185.2 million worldwide, on a $31 million budget. So this film made a pretty penny. It was kind of a big deal. It was released at the right time, I think. You know, that that early spring release date, you know, right before the summer season begins. Because this wouldn't have been a good film for the summer, honestly. It's definitely not a winter movie. I think they made the right choice putting it out here in the springtime. It's a nice little spring break kind of movie especially with it being set in miami um it's it's a pretty appropriate feel in my opinion um so yeah and then the film you know for it to have legs like that i mean this film was at number one for three straight weeks and uh it it just made a killing until some other films came out later on in 96 but uh yeah I, i was actually pretty taken back by the numbers as i was writing them down and looking them up for the episode just seeing how much it made i mean i knew it was uh, i knew this was a hit i just didn't know it was that big of a hit especially for it being 25 years old like yeah i'm i'm really proud of the money this movie brought in and that this 
it tells me that a lot of people saw this and it was a big deal in 96 like films like this didn't really come out and when they did they were shit you know let's just be honest they were shit movies uh this was the first real movie that took this this theme and this gay culture thing and like really turned it into something positive and it didn't really it embraced it it didn't make fun of it or try to take anything from it it celebrated it it made it okay this was a in my opinion this was a step up you know for the lgbtq community this was a pretty big step up especially when i see how many people actually went out to see this film all right so you're gonna go for it kid you ain't gonna believe this well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day was like a privilege. I've got two. Trina McGee, who played Chocolate, the black prostitute that Jackson was in bed with. You only see her in one scene. It's via... Um, I think it's a news report or something. She's given her her take on what happened. Um, so you guys will all remember Trina McGee <clears throat> from the show Boy Meets World. She played Angela Moore as well as Girl Meets World where she reprised her role for an episode. Um, I remember her in Daylight that came out a little while later in 96. Same year. But a little bit later, it's a Sylvester Stallone movie about um, like this this New York City tunnel collapsed, and maybe Stallone had to go and get everybody out. It's kind of ridiculous. I haven't seen it in like probably ten years or so. I think Viggo Mortensen's in it for one scene or something like that. Uh, that's a movie I have to go back and revisit. I haven't seen it in quite some time. I remember Danielle Harris being in it. And, uh, yeah, so she was in that. Primarily, she was from Boy Meets World. That's where everyone's going to remember her from. Certainly not Daylight or this film. Um, And then my other one for this movie is J. Roy Helland, who I actually just talked about. The the hostess in front of the club, who was also the costume designer. This is the only credit, but still, it's, it's a place to acknowledge him. So, let's meet the cast. Hey, you guys. Everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, a.k.a. jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it! So the Birdcage stars Robin Williams as Armand Goldman. Robin Williams, of course, uh, missed that man. Unfortunately, we lost him about seven years ago to suicide. Um, Very tragic. Still can't really wrap my head around it today, but it, it just... Yeah, um, Robin Williams, of course, I remember him from the 80s, uh, a lot of stand-up sh- a lot of stand-up gigs in the 80s with uh, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Billy Crystal, 
He was in the show Mork and Mindy. Went on to do Hook, Genie, the voice of the Genie, and um, Disney's Aladdin. Robin Williams from Awakenings, Good Morning Vietnam, The Fisher King, One Hour Photo, Patch Adams, Mrs. Doubtfire, Good Will Hunting, Music, Night at the Museum Trilogy. Uh, the man won four, he was nominated for four Academy Awards. He won Best Supporting Actor for Good Will Hunting. He received two Emmy Awards, six Golden Globes, two Screen Guild Actors Awards, and five Grammy Awards. This man is the definition of a legend. Robin Williams, greatly missed to this day. And then, of course, we have Gene Hackman as Senator Kevin Keeley. Gene Hackman is a name that most are familiar with, even though he hasn't acted in a film in 17 years. His last credited performance was 2004's Welcome to Mooseport. Still to this day, cannot wrap my head around that man's final film being Welcome to Mooseport, but it is. Um, I think he does Lowe's commercials voice work for them now. Uh, but yeah, Unforgiven, Quick and the Dead, Crimson Tide, this, The Chamber, Enemy of the Enemy of the State, coming soon to the Film Effect podcast. I have such fucking things to say about Enemy of the State. I have tons to say about that movie. In fact, the replacements, um, uh, Hoosiers. Superman, Christ, Scarecrow, Bad 21, Mississippi Burning. I mean, this film has two heavy hitters, Robin Williams and Gene Hackman. It really, it's, man. And then we have Nathan Lane, who at the time, people would remember him as the voice of Timon and The Lion King. Uh, Other than that, he was really big on Broadway and and theater acting. Um, I mean, he's had six Tony Award nominations. He's won three of them. He's had two Golden Globe nominations. He's had a Screen Guild, a Screen Actors Guild Award. He's had two Daytime Emmy Awards. He's had a People's Choice Award. He's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's been inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame. He's just he's been described as the greatest stage entertainer of the decade. <clears throat> Nathan Lane is just a huge stage actor. Not to say he doesn't do, do acting. I remember him in Life with Mikey. I remember him from uh, Adam's Family Values. He had that hook'em, book'em, cook'em line, I think it was. <laughs> um, I remember him following this up with, I believe he followed this up with Mouse Hunt which is a movie I haven't seen since the theater, unfortunately. Or maybe that is fortunately. I'm not sure. Um, hasn't done too much in the uh, world of acting today. But um, still around. He's still very active. Um, he just does a lot of folk. He just focuses his career primarily on the stage aspect uh, that that's just that's his niche and that's what he does best he's a stage actor first and foremost really um diane weiss as louise keely now diane weiss from such films as bulge over broadway parenthood the lost boys um she's won in two academy awards uh, actually, ironically enough, both for Woody Allen films, and 
Edward Scissorhands. She's a person that has been around for about 30, 40 years, I want to say. Uh, as far as not, not, she still does work, but I mean, her roles are kind of like spread out more than they were back in, you know, younger years. I think the last thing I saw Diane Weist in was the mule. I want to say the mule. Although she's still, no, she was on that show Life in Pieces. That's right with, uh, what's his name? Um, James Brolin. That's right. James Brolin was in that one. But yeah, Diana Weiss, she's been in a lot. <clears throat> then we got Dan Futterman as Val Goldman. Now, Dan Futterman's career has kind of shifted to screenwriting since uh, this film's release. He received an Academy Award nomination a handful of years ago for um, his writing on Foxcatcher. If you've ever seen Foxcatcher, it's a biography, it's a biography movie about the... Uh, the whole millionaire uh, DuPont family hair and the uh, John DuPont's recruitment of the two wrestlers that led to the murder of David Schultz uh, right around the time this film came out, actually. I think that murder happened in early 96. Like I said, not too far uh, not too far before this film's release. Um, and then Calista Flockhart who, of course, went on to do Ally McBeal. She was on Supergirl. Uh, doesn't do a whole lot of uh, <clears throat> movie work. In fact, I think her last film was... Shit, I can't... I, to be honest with you, I don't even remember too many movies with Calissa Flockhart. Her acting career primarily is from television. Ally McBeal, like I said. Uh, she was on Brothers and Sisters... Supergirl um, hasn't really done much since because why would she? She's been married to Harrison Ford since 2010. So, you know, she's doing pretty good for herself, I'd say. Uh, then we got Hank Azaria as Agador Spartacus. Hank Azaria, of course, from The Simpsons. Primarily know him from that. Um, he was in Godzilla he was in both the Smurfs movies, um, also from one of the Night of the Museum movies, Mystery Men, American Sweethearts. Um, I think he was on Friends, Mad About You with Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser. Um, but yeah, I, he was actually married to Helen Hunt, if I'm not mistaken. But I think most people would remember him from uh, The Simpsons. And then more recently, he was on that Brockmire show playing the titular character. Uh, I saw a couple episodes of that show. It's actually pretty fucking funny. I'm not, not going to lie. And uh, yeah, that's been uh, Hank Azaria. And then we got Christine Baranski as Catherine Archer. Christine Baranski from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. She's kind of shifted more towards television instead of films. But nonetheless, she was from Bullworth, The Ref, Adam's Family Values, Legal Eagles. Uh, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas, Mamma Mia, Into the Woods, Bad Moms, um, so many other fucking roles I can't really think of off the top of my head. Bowfinger, Cruel Intentions, that's right, Cruel Intentions, I remember her from the beginning. I think she played Tara Reed's mother, if I'm not mistaken, or something, something to that effort, I don't know. Uh, 
take a look at the crew. Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? So it was directed by Mike Nichols, produced by Mike Nichols and Neil A. Maxless, and written for the screen by Elaine May, based on the screenplay by Jean Pirot of La Cage à Folle. And let's just talk about Mike Nichols for a second. Mike Nichols has had himself a career. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But the times we did have with the man as a director, I mean, he did, his first film was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And then he went on to direct The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman, his first movie. Uh, Catch-22, The Fortune, Heartburn, uh, Biloxi Blues, Working Girl, Postcards from the Edge, Regarding Henry. Then he did Wolf, and this, and then Primary Colors. Um, His last film was 2007's Charlie Wilson's War. And 2004, he did a film called Closer, that I need to rewatch because I remember when this first came out, I was working at Blockbuster and I liked this movie an awful lot. But from what I've heard, it hasn't aged the best. And that was a little love story involving Julia Roberts, Jude Law, Natalie Portman, and Clive Owen. That was another one that Nichols directed off of someone else's script. Um, I believe that was a remake, if I'm not mistaken, or based on someone's work. I Again, I haven't seen Closer in... 15 so years or you know it's it's been about 15 years or so uh but i definitely have to uh go back and see uh just how that film holds up and if my opinion of it has changed any which i'm sure it has if since it's been so long finger licking good <laughs> finger licking good <laughs> all right so my finger licking good moments for this movie are two things number one the dinner and the second is the restaurant scene that I mentioned before with Nathan Lane being taught how to act straight. Um, I think I said it earlier in the podcast. It's Lane's best moment in the film by far. Um, and then the dinner scene. How can you go wrong with the dinner scene? I mean, it's it's literally what the film's built up to be. It's about this dinner. You get a pretty good amount of time dedicated to the dinner moment. And um, yeah, it's it's well worth it. It's It's... It's awkward in all the right ways. You're supposed to feel awkward. You're supposed to feel the emotion, the same emotions that Armand and Val are experiencing in the moment. When they feel very uncomfortable, like they're really just clenching their buttholes tight, that's how you are supposed to feel as well. Cringing along with them. So yeah, those are my two favorite moments by far. Biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I got a few. First, what a clean and tasteful gay comedy especially for a time when this sort of material was either frowned upon or made fun of or torn apart. I touched upon this earlier in the episode as well. Um, just we've come a long way. We still have humps in the road, but we're getting there. Uh, second, there's a ton of minor comedic bits that leave me laughing harder than bigger moments in this movie. So basically what I'm trying to say here in my notes is the little things in this movie 
overshadow the big elements. Um, the little subtle things like the sudden scream from Nathan Lane when the alarm goes off or uh, Robin Williams trying to get past out ice and slip in. It just, you know, those are the funniest bits to me. You know, some of them meant to happen. Some of them weren't intentional, but they were still kept in. Like the, the ice bit with Robin Williams when he falls. It's kind of a weird thing he does, right? Because you, you watch it, you're like, why did he fall? He actually slipped and it was an accident. But Mike Nichols loved it so much that they actually kept it in. So that's like a legit fall right there. Um, three. Gene Hackman and Nathan Lane have the best chemistry and i've never thought about that until watching it just this just this now this recently this recent rewatch they have such good chemistry together especially the moments when it's just them two just bouncing off of each other you've got nathan lane in his powerhouse stage presence going against gene hackman and his just he's just an actor's actor you know Man's been doing it for quite some time, so if you're a veteran like him. It's it's cool seeing these two just bounce off their their sort of ways off of one another, and um, it makes some good interaction. It's great content. Some of my favorite moments are with these two together um, at the end in the dinner scene. You know when Nathan's when Albert is trying to be Catherine, and you know it's just it's good stuff. It really is. And finally, I miss Robin Williams so fucking much. God, he's so funny in this movie. And it's, this is a movie I have seen probably 30, 35 times total. I mean, over the last two years alone, I've watched it at least five times. It's in my Letterboxd account. I'm just going through it, seeing what I've watched since in the last two years since I started that account up. Birdcage has popped up quite a bit. It's just a movie I enjoy sitting down and watching every few months. It's a feel-good comedy. It's hilarious. It 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 never overstays its welcome, if that makes sense. Uh, it's it's just a movie that just has fun, and I like having fun with the movie as well. It's it's a great watch. It's it couldn't have been paced any better yeah it's a little chunky it's it 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 runs pretty much at the two hour mark exactly but it's not bad it's it's all funny stuff in the movie throughout you know i think i mentioned this in my psycho gorman film attack review where it's like the humor stayed consistent with me throughout the movie and that's how it is here as well it stays up with the plot the humor never gets boring. The humor just never stops. You know, some movies just, I don't know. It it, it it just keeps on going until the very end. And even then, through the credits, you've got the bit with the wedding and everyone's reactions from the other side to the family, on both sides of the wedding parties. It's Even that is funny shit. So it's just from start to finish, the perfect comedy. So the next category... Alternative versions from another dimension. Alright, so there actually was an alternate version of this film. Let me pull this up and read this to you. So in the November 12th, 1998 ABC TV network airing of The Birdcage, 
Approximately 13 minutes of added footage was restored to the film, including after Armand and Albert had discussed the upcoming marriage with Val, there was a scene where the cake Albert had ordered earlier was delivered. Albert shrieks because the cake says to my piglet from his uncle instead of from his auntie that Albert had requested. And Albert and Armand have an amusing discussion of what it would be like to have Val and his wife live with them and what it would be like to have to be grandparents. Uh, there's a scene after Armand initially refuses Val's request to tone down the apartment. There is an extra scene later where Armand has a conversation with the bartender that eventually convinces Armand to prepare the apartment for the Keeley's arrival. There is an extra scene where TV network executives decide to send their news team to Florida on the basis that the Inquirer is already there. Uh, Armand's dinner speech about the origins of Guatemalan peasant stew is longer in the TV version, and he refills the guest bowls while explaining that the stew is the main course. So yeah, the, the, the entree is actually decided in the, in the TV version. I like that. Albert's speech about his parents' search for a cemetery plot is longer. There is a short scene including where Catherine Archer asks a TV newsman if they will be leaving their parking spot, which happens to be an intersection. And in the version broadcast on ABC, swimming trunks were electronically painted over the skimpy thongs worn by Agador and other male inhabitants of South Beach, Florida. So yeah, there actually was a little extent. There's a lot of stuff added. I thought that was never going to end when I was reading that all off to you guys. Jesus Christ. Um, so yeah. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? So it's easy. I mentioned it before. Eliminate the F word or tone it down altogether. It's simple as that. There's just no need for it. I get it, but I don't want it. So simple as that. And finally, the last word. All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any apple ball anybody can throw. Coffee say that's bullshit. You a buster. Andre say roll up, bitch. Coffee say I'll give you all my gun if you catch this ball. He threw the ball. Andre caught it. Andre say pay me my money. Coffee say you a cheating bitch. No way. Coffee say you a motherfucker. Okay, I got it. No, in closing, this is a movie that I hold near and dear to my heart for both personal and just being a fan of film reasons altogether. Um, there's not a moment I watch this film and I don't think about my late grandmother who I miss all the time. I love watching this and laughing with her. Um, everything, the humor, the acting, the everything in this film kind of just it it holds up so well 25 years later and i'm still laughing just as much as i was in that theater as my 12 year old self in 1996 it's it's a tasteful comedy that it came out at a good time and it just the legacy that it holds today you know i was just telling you guys earlier about the legacy of this film and it's for good reason you know so Here's the 25 years of the birdcage, and fuck it, here's the 25 more, because this film's legacy ain't going nowhere, no one's going to be canceling this movie down the road, personally speaking, I'm going to continue to celebrate this film throughout my life, I've seen it 35 times, let's make it 35 more times, 70's a good number, I don't know, but 
it's a great it's it's a nice way to go remember Robin Williams if anything else because he's on his A game throughout this entire film and there's just to me not a funnier performance than this film as far as his that man's filmography is concerned um no disrespect to Mrs. Doubtfire or you know anything else that he put out good morning vietnam aladdin no offense to any of those movies but I've, i'm fine with this being my favorite because i i truly believe this is his best performance and finally this movie is sponsored by the city of miami whether you're tangling with Mike Lowry or planning the most infeasible situations in order to marry a loved one, Miami is the place to be in the city to see. All right, guys, that being said, we are back next week with a special, 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 special extended episode talking about 1995's Heat from Michael Mann, a film that also features Hank Azaria, as I'm sitting here thinking about it now. It's, uh, yeah, another Hank Azaria film for next week for you guys. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Breaker, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. Follow us along on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Effect Podcast, and please follow us on Twitter at Film Effect Pod. Um, our email is the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. If you guys have any comments, questions, or requests, and if you guys would be so kind as to leave a five star review or a positive rating, it helps with the show, the algorithm growing just getting our name out there you guys will help if you had the time to do it i would be so thankful so so very thankful all that being said this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval and that'll bring things home for this show one down many more to follow next week i'll be back with an extended episode of heat with a special guest co-host sean elliott aka kid schmooze aka bro pesci aka the dude aka fuckface mcgee aka see you next week aka check you later all right guys take care